Last week we looked at one of the key aspects of King David's life and that he learned to live by every word of God and to hear God's voice and and to follow what his voice was saying to him. And he learned to inquire of the Lord, listen for answers and obey those answers. Uh, and I wanted to talk this week about something that's, you could say it's closely related. And it's something that we can see uh, the, in, in what the Apostle Paul declares in Romans 8. And he says this, Romans 8 and verse 6. He says, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, let's just quicken by this thought of not to be carnally or naturally minded, but to be spiritually minded, because when we are, it brings life and peace. And I, I mentioned last week that thought of we have to inquire of God right, in order to hear from God. And then we have to listen and to seek and, and wait upon God, you know, continually. But there is something that can be a major obstacle to us in that, and that is the natural mind. Or as the King James put it, puts it, the carnal mind. You know, but really it's that concept of, of, of so focusing on natural things and to have our mind kind of based on the, on the reality of what we see but that we fail to see or to, or to give that importance to what God is saying to us spiritually, to what is spiritually important. You know, the, the earthly-minded or the carnally-minded way of thinking will eventually bring spiritual death. But the spiritually-minded person will be rewarded with life and peace. Now, there's, I think there's varying degrees of this way of thinking, right? The worst being according to the flesh, right? The carnal mind. I mean, you can kind of think of that in the worst case scenario, someone who's carnally minded, just thinking about what satisfies the desires of the sin nature within us, and that leads to spiritual death. But I, I, I don't want to focus on that so much because I'm not really worried about, you know, that going on in our midst. Uh, but, but maybe there's a different end of that spectrum because there can be a way of thinking that it, it does not appear to be carnal or fleshly. And sometimes it, even that way can appear right, can seem right to us, uh, appear to be what's right. But the, the problem is, is that it's not aligned with what heaven is thinking is the right way. What the kingdom of God is, is sharing with us what the Spirit of God is sharing with us is the right way to go or the right decision to make. And I, I want to show in a couple of instances in David's life how he was able to look beyond the natural situation to see what was important according to the kingdom of God, God's Spirit. And it's so important because seeing those things impacts our eternity or at least our re eternal reward when we can walk according to the things of the spirit and his kingdom now there's the first two instances are with david and king saul and you know we've mentioned throughout this series of david 
in the early part of his life, having to be on the run for many years in the wilderness of southern Judah. And Saul is just always has his spies out trying to figure out where's David now. And then when he finds a report, he sends his army and he comes himself personally to hunt David. That was the extent and the power of his jealousy against David. And so there was one instance when he doesn't know it, but he's close to David because David and his men are hiding in a cave. And Saul just happens to come into the cave. And, and at that point, there's two, at, at, in that situation, there's two points of view of what needs to take place. There's David's men. In their point of view, it's the perfect situation. That, in fact, they say, it's the day of the Lord's deliverance. He's delivered your enemy into your hand. Here he is. Uh, it, it made perfect sense to them, right? Here's your enemy. He's seeking your life and God gave him into your hand. It makes sense. Just, you know, destroy your enemy and, you know, you can be delivered. Well, st- at first, David started to kind of go along with their way of thinking. He crept out and pulled a knife and, and instead of killing Saul, he just cut off a piece of the garment and his heart smote him for that. But, but, you know, this was his response to his men in 1 Samuel 24 and verse 6. He said, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. David realized there was, there was a spiritual way of thinking that was conflicting with the natural way of thinking of what his men. David was able to look beyond the natural to see what mattered with God. And what mattered with God was, here's the Lord's anointed and I cannot reach out my hand and touch him or oppose him or speak against him or anything like that. David understood God placed Saul in that position and he was only to leave according to God's hand and not David's hand. The second time was later on in in chapter 26 you know, Saul and his followers were again chasing David in the wilderness, and they were camp. Saul and his company were camping out on one mountain, and uh, God caused a deep sleep to come upon them. Maybe this was test another test for David. You know, he he cut off the garment before, so maybe this is a, a, a further test to uh, for him. And so David and one of his warriors crept up to them, snuck into the camp. We know it took his spear and his crews of water and, and uh, went back. But yet in the, in the midst of that, there was more of that natural mind going on because uh, Abishai, the warrior that came with him, said, David, now's your chance. He said in, in 1 Samuel 26, 8, God's delivered your enemy into your hand. If you won't do it, I'll do it for you. Let me smite him. But again, David said no. He didn't even entertain that thought. He knew God's day of deliverance would come in God's way, in God's timing, in appointed time. And so David's men had their natural way of thinking, but you could almost say it was natural. I mean, in that sense, Saul was treating them in a very unjust and wicked way. He was, he was treating them as an enemy. But David was able to think according to God's way and his kingdom. The last example I want to bring out 
uh, is later on in David's life when he was running from his son Absalom, right? when he was already king of Israel and Judah for many years, but then his son Absalom tried to take over uh, the kingdom. And we've mentioned this situation several times in our study already, but there, there comes a day when he's fleeing Jerusalem and he's heading up uh, the Mount of Olives and, and all of the people are coming with him and so forth. And, and of course, there's another guy who's not so good and his name is Shimei. And so here is this man named Shimei. He's cursing David and throwing dust and throwing stones at David and saying all of these terrible and wicked things. Of course, what, what did David's men say? They still have that mindset, and they say, let us take care of him. How dare he speak these things? And I'm, in reality, they're true. How dare he speak that against God's anointed? And it, you know, the things that he was saying were not even true. And you, know, you could paraphrase what David's men said. They said, let us take care of him. We'll stop him from saying those evil things. You know, the carnal way would have been to just take revenge. Let's just cut that down and that'll be done. But David was, he was able to look beyond the natural to see something spiritual, to see an opportunity. He, he was able to see an opportunity for good. And here, here's what he said to his men in 2 Samuel 16, 12. He said, it may be, he said, don't, don't touch him. Let him speak on. And he said, it may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and he'll require, he will give me good, requite me good for his cursing this day. Now you see, Absalom's rebellion in part was a consequence of the judgment that came upon him because of his sin with Bathsheba. And it was a judgment upon his house. And so... It was something he had to endure, and fortunately, those who followed him had to endure. But with Shimei, the actions were evil and unjust. And instead of, in his own way, just trying to end it, he said, you know what? God is just. He's a rewarder. And he said, it may be that God will see my affliction, and it's an opportunity for good, to to show, for him to show his goodness. And so I want to just bring out these, these different situations as a contrast to the natural way of thinking, the way David's men thought. It would have, been, it would have brought natural relief for a time, but it, it, perhaps it would have undermined God's purposes to, to think and act in those natural ways. David was able to see and think according to God's way of doing things, God's kingdom. And that preserved him. That lifted him up. And, and that is what we as the people of God so desperately need to be able to be not naturally minded, but spiritually minded. And so I, I want to just look at this concept of, of natural thinking related to our way of understanding God's purposes. In the earth, in the days that we're living in, there are, you know, different things are happening. And how do we understand it? How do we relate and respond to them? Well, I think we can understand from David's situation, we have to be careful of responding and looking at them in just natural ways. 
There's a very precious scripture in Proverbs 3 and verse 5. We can probably quote this once you see it. It's, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. And you can kind of continue that. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. But really, this is, this is a good uh, summary of, of natural thinking versus being spiritually minded. You know, we're commanded and commissioned to place our whole trust in God and his way of leading. And what are we to avoid is our own leaning or relying upon our own understanding, our own perspective and way of doing things. And, and so that the exhortation is do not be naturally minded. We can't trust in our own understanding or the understanding of others. We have to rely upon God's words and hang ourselves upon those words. I always love reading a, a certain story that kind of illustrates this concept. Uh, it's in the time of King Hezekiah. And remember the, the time when you know, Hezekiah has been following the Lord and, and, and kind of leading the nation and back in righteousness. And they had a revival there, but after revival came some trouble in the form of the Assyrians because they came and invaded the land and it became desperate times because the only place where they could find refuge was in the city of Jerusalem. But, the, but then the Assyrians came and surrounded and, and laid siege to the city. And the enemy is there surrounding the city, you know, making all these proclamations uh, in the Jews' language that they could all hear. But the people have, of the city had been commanded by Hezekiah not to respond, but to keep silent. And, and here's what Hezekiah said to them. In 2 Chronicles 32 and verse 7, the king said, Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the man, all multitude that is with him, for there be more with us than are with him. Verse 8, For with him is the arm of flesh, the natural but with us is the Lord our God to help us, to fight our battles. Now, here's what I want us to see. He's, the king stopped speaking, and then here's the response of the people. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. Now, the problem was is that the arm of flesh was very real to them. Right? And the natural, it was, it was a really challenging, probably scary situation to have, you're no longer free to go out into the country anymore because the enemy's there and they've surrounded the city and you're confined in. That was apparent in the natural and in, in what they saw with their eyes. But Hezekiah was trying to get them to trust in a spiritual army that was greater. Greater are those with us than those who are against us. And so the people had to make that choice that was not natural, but that was spiritual. They chose to trust and rest themselves in that word, and they didn't respond to the enemy. They just waited and did what they were told. Of course, the result was in that story that God showed up at the appointed time 
And the angel of the Lord came. They didn't have to do anything. The angel of the Lord came and slew 185,000 of those Assyrians who laid siege and they, they were delivered and the, you know, the king of Assyria went back and of course he didn't have a good end either. But the people had to rest themselves. They basically hung their lives upon that word that Hezekiah got, received, uh, you know, upon their leader. And, and in, this, in this case, spiritual authority because Hezekiah was sharing the word of the Lord with them along with Isaiah. They had to hang their lives upon that word. Now, the natural-minded person evaluates the situation and they, they look with their natural eyes and then they do what seems right in their own eyes. But the spiritually-minded person realizes there's so much more to see and to understand and we cannot, and they realize, I can't rely upon what I see with my eyes. I have to inquire of God because there's so much more at stake than just the natural, right? Our decisions affect our eternity and our eternal reward. And so we need to hang our lives upon something that is sure, upon the word of God. In Ecclesiastes 12 and verse one, it says, the words of the wise are like goads. Those were little sticks that you'd poke animals to get them going. And as nails fastened by the master of the assemblies, which are given from the shepherd. So the words of the wise can, like goads, can encourage us to go in the right way, but they're also like nails fastened by the master builder. And you know, I was kind of reading about that, about nails in biblical times. They weren't like today, you know, you can get the nails, just hammer it into a piece of wood and you hang a picture or something or into a wall. Um, back then, they were actually built into the wall. So when they built a wall, they would, they would put a big you know, size, either piece of wood peg or metal uh, nail into the wall, and that's where they would hang things in the house. But it was built into it, and it was strong. It could hold a great weight. And so God wants us as spiritually-minded followers of Christ to rest our lives upon his nail, his wise words that he shares with us because they have been written before the foundation of the world. And they can, they're worthy of our trust and they will support the weight of our lives and the lives of many. You know, his words are established and they will uphold a great weight as he speaks to us. And, you know, the thing is, though, is that we have to develop that discernment to recognize the word of the Lord. That, you know, we, we looked at that last week, inquiring and, and hearing God's voice, and I don't want to reiterate that, but, but, you know, even there's that thought of discerning when God's word is coming, because sometimes it can come from different places. Sometimes there's that godly authority, you know, or he speaks it directly to us or through, uh, through someone who's godly, but there's times when God will speak through other vessels. And we have to be sensitive and open that, Lord, are you speaking in this situation through this person? And not just looking at the outside. The story I'm thinking of is King Josiah. Do you remember King Josiah? He was, in the early part of his life, he was one of the most godly kings of Judah. 
He did so much good in his life, cleansing the land of Israel from evil of the past. He kept a mighty Passover. You know, the land experienced revival under him. But the, at the end of his life, he failed to recognize the word of the Lord uh, because God was speaking through an unusual source. In fact, I think, I don't know if this is the only time he's really, the word of the Lord came through such a, an ungodly source. It came through Pharaoh. Uh, because the story in, in 2 Chronicles uh, 35 was Pharaoh Necho came with his army and he was passing through Israel and Judah in their land um, and he was coming to fight uh, towards a city called Carchemish, which was in uh, Syria and it was on the banks of the Euphrates River. Uh, some historians think he was actually coming to the aid of this Assyrian city because the Babylonians were fighting them. So he was coming to their aid. And so to get there, he had to pass through Judah. And Josiah opposed him, thinking, well, here's Pharaoh passing through our land and so forth. But, but here was Pharaoh's reply, which is very unique in scripture. And he says this in 2 Chronicles 35 and verse 21. It says, but he, the Pharaoh, sent messengers to Josiah saying, what have I do with, do with you, king of Judah? I have not come against you this day, but against the house with which I have war, for God commanded me to make haste. Refrain from meddling with God, who is with me, lest he destroy you. There's a lot in that verse. Pharaoh said, God sent me on this mission. You know, don't meddle with God. Now, in the natural way, you could, you could say, Pharaoh, you are a wicked person who serves many gods. Who are you to tell me about God? I know who God is. But in this instance, God, the word of the Lord was coming through this, you could say, earthy, earthly vessel. And Josiah didn't heed the warning. You know, he just saw, here's my enemy coming up through my land. I'm going to oppose him. And he didn't, you know, he didn't heed that warning. And so he came up in the battle and a, an archer just shot a bow up. The arrow came, struck Josiah. He was taken from the battle and he died. And it's such a tragic end to such a good life. Now, we don't we don't know what his spiritual state was at the end, but it's clear he was he was thinking about his situation with a natural mind, and he wasn't considering the spiritual reality that God might have had a plan and a purpose in what was taking place in the natural if he had only inquired. And so I think we have to be so careful today as believers. Because God's working in the earth in unusual ways. In ways that we don't always understand. Lord, why are you allowing certain things to happen? He's given us as, as a fellowship, you know, a mandate to, to start Bible schools and encourage that. And here, none of us can really travel. But God knew and he allowed it. And he has his plans and his purpose that we have to trust in. Sometimes we want to fight against what appears suspect of what is questionable, but we have to be so careful in our day 
that we do not approach things with a natural mind. Because just as that brought natural death to Josiah, a natural mind or living in a, with a natural mind can bring spiritual death to us or, or perhaps spiritual danger or dullness or something that can cause us to take a wrong turn. Instead, we have to ask the Lord, Lord, what are you doing in our day? What do you think about this? How should I think about this? What do you want me to do about this? And perhaps if Josiah had inquired of the Lord about that, he, he would have lived. I want to close this, out, this message out just by going back to those, that verse we read in Proverbs 3 and then look at some verses after it. All right, we read verse Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your understanding. But then in verse 7, Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and depart from evil. Remember, you know, evil or sin is that concept of you know, falling short of his plan for our lives. The fear of the Lord keeps us from doing that. In verse 8, It shall be health to thy navel, marrow to thy bones, to our innermost being. Then verse 21, My son, let those wise words not depart from your eyes. Keep sound, keep, yes, keep sound wisdom and discretion, and there'll be life to your soul and grace to your neck. And then you will walk in your way safely, and your foot shall not stumble. Boy, I want those words to take place in my life, in our lives, in our church, in our fellowship. But the commandment of our day is to not be wise in our own eyes and to lean on our own understanding, not to be naturally minded, but to be spiritually minded. And to do so, we have to rest ourselves upon the word of the Lord to hang our lives upon his sure word. And of course, to do that, we have to inquire, Lord, am I thinking the right thing? Am I thinking according to your way? Or am I thinking just according to what I see and understand myself? But if we think according to God's way and obtain his mind, it will be life to our soul, grace to our neck. We'll walk in safety and our feet will not stumble. Father, that is our desire. Oh God, we come to you and just cry out, oh God, that you would cause us to walk in your way. And Lord, we know that a part of that is having your mind and seeing through your sight and walking according to your faith. Lord, we just come to you. Oh, we ask that you would just do that work within us. Oh Lord, cause us to be those who are, are spiritually minded, O oh God, that we wouldn't walk according to our sight or lean upon our ununderstanding. Oh, but then every situation we would acknowledge and wait upon you and seek you for your way and your perspective that we could follow you all of our days and walk in that surety and protection. And we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.